It's the Sunday of St. Gregory of Palamas, so normally I would be speaking to you about St. Gregory of Palamas uh, and his theology, but uh, when I read the gospel reading uh, for the daily gospel reading for today, uh, it was just too perfect. I have to preach on that. So I want to preach, uh, I wanted to speak to you today about the gospel reading uh, in which we heard about the paralytic. In this gospel reading, we have a run on something a lot more important and essential than toilet paper. We have our Lord Jesus Christ, who has just begun to reveal himself in his power to his people. Uh, so it becomes, this comes at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and, uh, and, and Jesus has just shown his power, and he's in Capernaum, and people are looking for something. They're looking for what he has to offer. And so they come flocking to see him. So he's in this house in Capernaum, and there it's, it's not even like standing room only. You can't even get in the door of this house. There are so many people flocking to hear Jesus teach to, uh, and, and to, to receive healing from him. And along come some friends carrying their friend on a stretcher because he's paralyzed. And there's just no way that they can get in. As I say, it's not, there's not even any way you can get, it, get through the doorway of this house. There are so many people crammed into it. it didn't have fire codes back then, so <laughs> there's no, no restrictions. Um, and, and so these men go up onto the roof of the house and start dismantling the roof and then lower their friend on the stretcher so that you know the people in the house are what what's the noise and wow there's dust coming down and oh there's a there's a person coming down from the roof and he comes and they put him right in front of Jesus and Jesus looks up and he sees their faith and i ha i have to note here that what what does he see he he sees a hole in the in in the in the roof which is the result of the work of the hands of these friends of the, the, the paralyzed man. The, he sees their work. And in that work, he sees it as a work of faith. That's not where I want to go with this, but, but it's, I think it's worth, worth noting. Where I, what I want us to focus on is what Jesus does next. Here he has a man on a stretcher in front of him, whose friends have done everything in their power to get him right there where he is in front of Jesus. And what does he say to him? He says, your sins are forgiven. Not what you expect. I mean, here, here he's been healing all day. These people who have brought their friend in have brought him in to be healed. And what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. I think this, and this is the uh, uh, revelatory of 
or, or goes at least a long ways to answering the question that I tend to like to pose here, and which I think is even more important and 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 apropos to to to, to pose at this point in time. Why are we here? Why are you here? And we can ask this in the context in which we're now asking it, in even the larger question, even the larger context. Why are we here at all? Why are we alive? What do we live for? And Jesus, in speaking to this man and saying to him, your sins are forgiven, is addressing that most basic need that we have as living, breathing human beings. We often think, particularly in times of stress and, and, and worry, and as, as we're in right now, uh, that, you know, of, that, that it, it all really comes down to survival. We, as a human beings, we just want to survive. And, and even talk about survival instinct. But that's not enough. That doesn't really answer the question of why we continue to live, why we struggle, what we struggle for. Some people don't want to survive. Others do and work and scrape and yet give up their lives for other people. One of the things that's, that's often noted, especially at times like this one, we, we have, we've been blessed where in our generation where we haven't really had to worry about things like plague. Now all of a sudden we're having to worry about something that human beings have worried about for generation upon generation upon generation. We're having to face this and to face this fear that comes along with it. So here we are in the midst of this, and um, but but if we if we look back, it's not new. The church has dealt with this before, and it's often noted, and, and quite rightly noted, that one of the things that led to the triumph of Christianity was not just the martyrs, but the Christian response in times like this, in times of plague. In, in times of plague, often everybody would flee the city. This wasn't just a run on toilet paper, it was a run away from everything. Um, even the doctors would run away. But the, what would the Christians do? They would run towards the people who were sick to help them, to look after them. Because what did they hear from their Lord, the one whom they loved? I was sick and you took care of me. You even have the emperor, Julian the Apostate, who turned his back on Christianity and tried to get the whole empire to go back to worshipping pagan idols, lamenting the fact that the Christians keep stealing the hearts of the people because they go and look after them. 
But sometimes this phenomenon is not fully reported or is something perhaps reported in almost a misleading way to imply that Christians were rushing to look after the sick and what gets left out is that the Christians, as they rushed to look after those who were sick and dying of the plague, themselves got sick and died. There's a, a quote by St. Dionysius. Um, it was posted uh, recently by um, um, a fellow seminarian of mine, which, which, which actually says, you know, the, the, the Christians went and they looked after the sick. This is like in, written about the year 260, uh, and it's actually talking about a plague that was recent and how the Christians had gone and looked after the sick, uh, that even rushed in where the others had rushed away, and they got sick themselves and died, and their deaths were seen as martyric deaths. Some of them were even commemorated as martyrs, as witnesses to the resurrection power of Christ. So it's not just about survival. Survival is not the bottom line. That's not why we're here. That's not what we live for. Nor is it, as it at least as it is sometimes portrayed, about quality of life. There's often talk, especially in terms of when, when, when society is considering a, a, um, at this point uh, doing away with the Christian dispensation, uh, the Christian requirement that you not kill yourself, and uh, and trying to introduce uh, things like uh, death with dignity, or however they want to you yeah you euphemize it. Um, uh, it's it's where whereas the the um, and and then what they usually talk about is quality of life. Well, we don't have the right quality of life. And yet, or this person who wants to end it, the, the, the quality of their life is really low. So, And yet, if you look at human beings, they cling to life. We love life, even when it involves ongoing suffering. There are all sorts of people who hang on to it, who want to live. They're not concerned with quality of life. That's not what we ultimately live for. So what is it? Well, I would suggest that what we live for is actually encapsulated in Christ's response to this man who is at his feet waiting for his healing. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, at that point, especially at this point, early in Jesus' ministry, everybody is totally shocked by, some, by this. It's like, what? Uh, and, and, and the people who are like experts in the law and in theology are like, who, who can, can forgive sins except God alone? Jesus, of course, knows that they're shocked. And he says, why, why, do, you, why do you say this? 
You know, basically, of course, only God can forgive sins. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I tell you, arise, take up your bed, and walk home. And he does. The man who has been paralyzed gets up from his mat that he was just moments before completely unable to move from, completely helpless, completely dependent upon the love and generosity of his friends. Now all of a sudden he has the strength to stand up and pick up his mat and walk out the door. And everybody in the room, there's a lot of people in that room, are glorifying God. But the point of the healing was not to improve the man's quality of life. The point was to illustrate that Christ had the power to do what we really need him to do, which is to address that basic problem that we all are suffering with, sin. The failings that separate us from one another. The failings that separate us, more importantly, from God himself. Christ deals with that. And he gives us a reason to live. Again, there's a, there's a scene from one of my favorite movies where uh, uh, The Princess Bride, where, where the, uh, the Wesley is brought in to uh, Miracle Max, because uh, he's dead. Uh, and, and, uh, the, uh, and Miracle Max is like, whoa. Uh, scene worse. <laughs> scene worse. <laughs> worse. Uh, and and uh, uh, it's like, what? He's dead. How can he be worse? I'll say, oh, no, he's not, he's, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. Uh, and he, he points out that this guy has, he, 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 he's, he's clinging to life. He's not completely dead. He has something worth living for. And so he, he gets out his bellows and he push, pumps some air into the guy's lungs and says, Hello in there! What, what, what do you have that's worth living for? And he pushes down the, uh, the, the, uh, the lungs or the, the chest so that he, the, the, out, of, out of his mouth comes, uh, of the mostly dead man, comes words. True love. I won't go into the subsequent humorous antics that, that, that come from that. But there's truth in that. What is it that we live for? We live ultimately for true love. We need to know the love of God that he still loves us in spite of our failings, in spite of our weaknesses. We need to know that those around us love us in spite of our failings, in spite of our weaknesses. We need to know that even as we are trapped in sin, in addiction, in depression, in whatever it is that we're trapped in, that we are loved. And this is Christ's word. 
to the man in front, lying on the, helpless on the ground in front of him. This is his word to us as we lie helpless on the ground to, uh, in front of him. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And then, to make it clear that he has the power to do this, he does stuff for us. We pray. He answers. Sometimes it's not always the answer we expect. But that's why he answers. So that we know that he is there. So that we know that he loves us. So that we know that he is good. So that we have something to live for. That's why we're here. Because God loves us because he made us, because he still loves us in spite of what we have made of ourselves, in spite of our messed upness, in spite of our helplessness, in spite of our inability to move or do anything good. He loves us. And that's what we live for. So that we don't worry so much about survival. We don't worry so much about quality of life. We have the freedom to act and do what is right, no matter what. This doesn't mean that we should all rush into the house of those, houses of those with COVID-19 and, and, uh, and look after them. It does mean that we should not worry about it. We should not be defined by fear. We should be good citizens, as St. Justin says, where we're the martyr and philosopher in his first apology. He says to the emperor, we're your best citizens because we understand that God is watching us even when the police force isn't. We want to do what is right. We pray for you. We pray for the whole world. As Christians, we do what is required of us as long as it doesn't contradict what God requires of us what we are ultimately required to do by our Creator, by the one who loves us, is to love. To show love to those around us. As he has freely given us his love, so we freely give what we have received. That we might be truly his children. That we might live for the, the, the true meaning of what we were created for. That we might in our lives and by our love, give glory to him who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and into ages of ages.